There was no way we were not going to be successful. I wasn't concerned at all then. I wasn't. Now I'm like, golly, man, you were crazy. <laughs> John Stewart is a partner and co-founder of Middle Ground Capital. In this episode, you're going to hear about his amazing journey from putting bumpers on Camrys at 19 years old as a second shift team member for Toyota. Then he eventually managed 7,000 people and was the first American to be promoted to run an entire division of Toyota. Then he shifted over to private equity. Today, he, Lauren Mulholland, and Scott Duncan together manage Middle Ground Capital, which has $459 million under management. This is an amazing story about curiosity, about leadership, about sacrifice, and never doubting yourself that you can do this. I was actually born in Mount Kisco, New York. You can tell from my accent. Um, I only lived there for a few years. Our family moved to the South. We moved to Tennessee. And so I really grew up in Tennessee. I uh, was there until my freshman year of high school. And then my brother and I and our parents moved to a, a little town called Jamestown, Kentucky, which was uh, about 900 people. And we had lived in the outskirts of Nashville. So it was a little bit of a culture shock. I was, I was always the person that was questioning everything. You know, I was the kid that would uh, go study the encyclopedia and go ask dad questions. And when dad answered incorrectly, you know, I would tell him what the correct answer was. That's just something that that I was born with. You know, me and my brother were always competitive growing up. We always pushed each other to be better at, you know, what we did. Kind of a student, I wasn't satisfied unless I had 100%. I wasn't satisfied, you know, with, you know, just getting by. You know, I always wanted to be, I wanted to be the best. After high school, uh, I went to uh, college uh, at a small liberal arts school here in Kentucky called Campbellsville University where I played football for them. Me and a bunch of my football buddies one day, we were just, we were all talking and Toyota had made an announcement that they were moving to Kentucky. And it was big news in the state. And so my buddies were like, hey, let's, uh, let's go apply for a job at Toyota. And I was like, well, I don't wanna apply for a job at Toyota, I'm going to college, you know? So we, we all went and we applied for jobs at Toyota. And um, I was the only one that got a call for a job and ended up joining uh, Toyota in April of, of uh, 1989 uh, as a team member for the second shift of their operations in Georgetown. Uh, so I didn't go back to school the next semester. Uh, I had uh, met my wife, um, you know, previously. Uh, I was a student coach on the high school football team. She was in the band. She was a senior in high school. <clears throat> Probably go to jail for it today. I told her, I think on our second date, she would tell you, I told her that, you know, I think that we'll get married and, you know, have wonderful children together. So I was, I was 19 uh, when I uh, started at Toyota. She was uh, 18. So we got married about six or about six or seven months after we, uh, I had joined Toyota. And so, uh, you know, that was, that was definitely a, a motivational factor. You know, the getting the job allowed us to, you know, get married and in Kentucky, you know, if you're not married by the time you're 20, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, so we took care of that. You know, we've been married for 30 years this year. I uh, had grown up in a small country town, and I really took that work ethic with me to Toyota uh, and put it into everything that I did. And so I volunteered for every opportunity. Toyota had just started the facility, and there was a lot of Japanese here that were helping to train the, the management teams. I befriended them, and they, they kind of took me under their wing and, and really taught me uh, everything about the Toyota production system and lean manufacturing and uh, I showed interest in what they were you know what they were trying to teach us and you know I would say I was probably in the minority of 
of folks. You know, one of the things that it was always to uh, always to be learning. Uh, you know, use every opportunity as a learning opportunity. Um, I remember I had a really bad supervisor and, and one of the Japanese that was there, um, you know, told me, he said, well, you know, he said, you can learn a lot right now. And I was like, what do you mean? You know, this guy's terrible. And I was like, no, you can learn all the things that you don't need to do when you're a supervisor. Uh, it was real. it was great advice. But then I started getting promoted. I got promoted from a, from, to be an hourly supervisor where I had five people underneath me. Then I got promoted to being a salary supervisor where I had 30 and then a section manager where I had 300 and then a manager where I had 1,000. And then, you know, when I left Toyota, I had, you know, you know over 7,000 people, you know, reporting to me. They gave you the opportunity to learn. They gave you the opportunity to, you know, work at, at the, the highest level possible. You know, they have systems and processes in place. I'm a very systematic process oriented person. So it kind of fell right into, you know, the way that I like to do things. You know, I did teach them some things along the way. Respecting that uh, individuality of the person and incorporating that as a part of the management style, I think that's one of the things that helped me to be successful during my time at Toyota. I had been with Toyota for, you know, 16 years. And um, uh, I was, uh, you know, running the the uh, assembly department for Toyota here in, in Georgetown, which is the main manufacturing department. You know, I was 30, uh, 35, you know, 36 years old, so I was young. Uh, it was actually requested for me to go over to the United Kingdom and help them. That plant had been struggling. I had earned the reputation in Toyota that when there was an area of the plant that was not performing, I would go in to take over that area and then make it the, you know, one of the top performing areas. Well, the, you know, the reason I stayed at Toyota as long as I did is you know, I was continually learning. I would got my undergraduate degree working, you know, while I was working at Toyota. I got to do an, uh, an executive development program with the Wharton School with them. And so, you know, I was, I, you know, I was there 18 years. I was promoted six times, you know, during that 18 year period. I was the first American team member that was promoted to run a division for the company. And so I was, I was, always kind of getting the advanced assignments, the more difficult assignments, the, the assignments that people really wanted, uh, you know, and, and, and so, you know, I think it was, you know, it was, it was really interesting until I got to a point where I thought, okay, for me to do really what I want to do next, I, it's going to be 12 years, you know, and so how am I going to keep myself interested? And I was really trying to decide what I wanted to do for my future. And I was, you know, contacted by a, uh, corporate recruiter that was recruiting for an upstart private equity firm. And I ended up, uh, you know, going through that process. I didn't know what private equity was, had no idea. I did a lot of research on it. <clears throat> My first trip uh, to New York City was actually the interview for the job. I like the, the uh, pace of change and the impact that you could have in the smaller businesses. We went out in 2010 and started raising a second fund. I didn't feel like they were utilizing us. We weren't being involved in diligence of the companies. You know, we weren't helping to underwrite the deals. I have to be stimulated uh, intellectually. You know, to me, that's really important. And so, you know, like when, when I moved into private equity, I was never going to be happy just being an operations guy. It was not, there was not an option. And so they ended up agreeing and they made me the head of the operating team uh, in two, at the end of 2010. And so it was then that I started getting involved in all of the transactions and working with the transaction teams. Uh, and then it just became natural for me uh, to start getting involved on the transactional side. I worked on my first deal in 2013 and then 
uh, was promoted to managing director, um, and uh, you know, over time was um, made a partner in the firm. During that process, you know, uh, I had worked very closely with Lauren. I was one of her mentors inside the organization. I'd been Scott's mentor since our time at Toyota. And uh, so, you know, we worked really well together. Um, and then, you know, we ended up leaving in October of, of 2017. In May of 2018, we started Middle Ground Capital. I knew that if the three of us stuck together, we were going to be successful. And so, you know, we, we, the first thing we did is we sat down and we put a 10-year plan together. And with the first investor we met with, we were like, we have a 10-year plan for the organization. We had developed the whole organization out, what it was going to look like and what it was going to look like in fund one and fund two and fund three. And, you know, and then we had investors tell us, well, we've never seen this before. You know, this is really impressive. And so, you know, but it was natural. That's, you know, to, to me is, okay, we had a goal that we had to achieve. The three of us sat down, we set and put out a plan on how we were going to achieve it. And when you look back at what actually happened, we followed that plan really carefully. You know, at the time, I never even thought of that we're not going to be successful doing what we're doing. I, I'm, I never even thought of now after, you know, it, the fundraise is over and I look back, I was like, what were you thinking? You know, I try to surround myself with really intelligent, smart people. You know, Lauren and Scott are great examples of that. But, you know, John Poff, you know, Doug Brown, you know, any of the team that I've, I've worked with for a long time, as well as the current team that we have here at Middle Ground. And I guess it goes back to what I learned at Toyota is if you, you know, I always say that when, when I talk to recruiters about hiring people, I always tell them I want the best athlete. I don't want the person with the perfect resume, you know, that looks like they're right for the job. I want someone that's super, super smart, super intelligent, um, trustworthy. The most important thing to me um, in a working relationship or any relationship is trust. And so, uh, you know, my people always know that I have their back and I'll go to the ends of the earth to support them in whatever it is that they do, but I expect the same thing from them. And so, um, you know, uh, having that uh, trust, I think it, it just goes into kind of my leadership style uh, and the way that I manage and lead people is, you know, I think everybody, you know, if you talk, you, you, you've talked to a lot of different people, I think people would tell you that I, I drive people really, really hard. Um, but only to the point of trying to help them to achieve, you know, at their peak level. You know, I, I don't, I don't try to run people in the ground just to make them feel bad, or I don't try to, you know, you know, uh, you know, do things with any negative purpose. But you know, I do try to push people. You know, when I feel like that they're not uh, um, working at their their full capability. And one of the reasons that I think people like to work with me for a long time. I feel a personal accountability to anybody that I've ever hired. So I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't hire and, and make hiring and firing decisions without a lot of thought because it's a very, very important decision for someone to, you know, entrust their career with you. <clears throat> and um, so I try to take that, you know, that's a, that's really important. And then when someone does that, I'm going to support them for them to be successful, no matter what I have to do. And no matter if they work with me the rest of their career or not. And that's why we're so focused on culture here um, and supporting our employees. Um, because we want, you know, we, we feel thankful that each one of them has, you know, joined us. When you're a leader, the decisions that you make, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're the leader of a private equity firm, the leader of a company, the leader of a country. When you're a leader, when you make decisions, it affects people, real people. And, um, you know, 
uh, when you know at, at our previous firm we did a lot of uh, restructuring turnaround um, the hardest thing is having to let people go you know and I, I always think about here's this poor guy now he's got to go home and he's got to explain to his kids he's got to explain to his wife that he doesn't have a job there's no way to support the family you know and so uh, realizing that you're as a leader that your decisions affect people and especially in my role today my decisions affect a lot of people uh, the decisions that I make uh, affect our investors and all the people that have entrusted them with retirement funds or whatever the, the situation is, the, the companies that we own and all of those employees. You know, um, sometimes it might make a lot of sense on an Excel worksheet, uh, but at the end of the day, it's not the best decision of what the right thing to do in a company. And so, you know, uh, having learned those things, I think it helps me to make better decisions uh, it helps me to, you know, be a better leader to, to the team uh, and to help them to continually to grow, help them make better decisions and make wiser choices. Um, I think that, that that was a key learning for me uh, during during my time, my career. My, my mind, you know, moves a, a million miles an hour. And so I'm always kind of thinking through different scenarios and things that, you know, I'd like to do, whether it's a personal life, professional life, you know, and um, I always like to have a plan finished my education while I was with Toyota, but I do a lot of informal kind of education. If I get interested in something, taught myself how to write, you know, algorithms, of, you know, taught myself how to program computers, you know, all kinds of different things, uh, you know, that I find, you know, interesting. And so it's just, it's just a part of the nature of the beast, I guess, of who I am. My wife says I'm never satisfied with anything. I would tell them to enjoy the ride a little bit more, and I would tell them to, um, you know, uh, not let, you know, work kind of consume your life. You know, that's one of my regrets. You know, I was notoriously the first person in the facility and the last person out, you know, on, on our shift. Routinely would go to work at 4.30 in the morning and come home at 9 o'clock at night for, you know, 18 years. Um, and that leads to a lot of sacrifice of family time. Um, and um, you don't have to do that to be successful. It's one of the things that we're trying to drive home in the culture here at Middle Ground uh, is that you can be successful uh, in your professional life and in your personal life. It was a key learning uh, for me and it's something that I wish that I could go back and change. I can't go back and change it now, uh, but I try to be different like with my, I have grandkids now and so my wife tells me the grandkids are over. You'll, there'll be times that you'll see me pack everything up and leave, you know, because I want to take, embrace that opportunity. It was something that I didn't do you know, when my kids were at home.